you to have your scriptures with you tonight, I'm asking you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. The message tonight is entitled, A Promised Land to the People of Promise. We're going to go through seven points about this promise that was made by God over 4,000 years ago to a particular people and a particular place. There is war today in Israel, and depending who you listen to, what channel you go to, the observations, the views, the opinions vary quite a bit. So in times like these, when the world has no idea what's really going on, it's always a good time to check with the Word of God. Amen? Amen. So that's what we want to do. I'd like to uh, say that as we look at these verses, we look at these passages that we're all in agreement, and I believe we are, that our authority is the Word of God. So Genesis chapter 12, where we're going to begin talking about this man and these people, we're going to look at a moment here in the, these first three verses and just follow along as we go. This is where we got some P words here. It's always good in a town, everything's about Purdue. Uh, so some P words. The promise proclaimed, all right? Chapter 12, the first three verses. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now notice this third one. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. God in this passage says, I've selected a, a person. I'm declaring my purpose, which is making a promise. So it's plain, poignant, and to the point. God says what he means, and he means what he says. First of all, had said unto Abram. God selected him. God chose him. He is the father of the Jewish people. He told him to leave Ur of the Chaldees, which was a center of pagan worship. And he was going to start a brand new people group today that we are known as the Hebrews or the Jews. And he says, and I will take thee unto a land that I will show thee. That land we call the promised land is the land of Israel. They're hardly ever in the news, except maybe today. And they're going to be in the news for quite a while. He says, I will make of thee a great nation, Israel. And he says, I will bless and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. You notice in verse 3, again, there's no setting on the fence here. We'll get into that a little bit more, but he says, I want to be plain. I want you to listen. Kind of a poignant, pointed statement. Here's the way it's going to be. I've selected this man, and from this man will come my selected people, and I will take my selected people to a selected location, and we're not going to take a vote on it. This is the way it's going to be. I have spoken, says the Lord God Almighty. 
And if you want to join the team, amen, glory, hallelujah, I will bless thee if you bless Abraham and his descendants. But if you got any other idea where you think you're smarter than me and you got your own plan and your own purpose and you decide you don't like Abram, you don't like the Jews, you don't like the fact that they're living in that land and you go against them, guess what? I will curse you. They say, well, what's going on this week, the next week, and the other? In the end, he will bless those that bless thee and he will curse those that curse them. That's, what it's, that's, that's where it's going to be, always. Because he has made a promise. Now, that's just that little opening. Let's go three chapters in to Genesis 15. The one we just looked at is the promise proclaimed. Now in Genesis 15, we're going to look at 7, verse 21. I'm going to read it quickly. The promise is procured. Put on your fast ears. Here we go. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, I'll just say right now, stop right here. This would be a standard kind of a covenant or agreement, a contract back in the ancient day. This sounds odd to us, but it was normal back in those days. Take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Adam drove them away. That's a picture of the pagan, unclean Canaanites in that verse. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Abram. It's not that he just was taking a nap. God caused him to go asleep, to become asleep. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. God is showing him in the dream the future of the people that are to be the descendants of this man. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. That's Egypt. And also that nation whom they shall serve. Well, I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God is telling him right there, in the future, there's going to be a group of Amorites. They're not my friends. They don't believe in me. They're going to be cursed by me. But I'm not going to do it quite yet, because I'm going to let their wickedness become more and more severe. So that by the time in the future, when the descendants of Abraham are going into this land, then I'm going to deliver justice on these pagan people, a holy justice. Now we get into this verse 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites... The Kenzanites, the Kedmonites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. 
He said, there's all these people living there already, cities and farmers and armies and kings and people. And I'm going to give you that land. It's not uninhabited, it's inhabited. But God's made a decision. So guess what's bound to happen? Guess what must happen? Doesn't matter what these people think, doesn't matter how they cry and boo-hoo and this is not fair and boo-hoo. No. God has evaluated them. He has weighed them. They've been found wanting before the holiness of God. And he says, you're going to inherit it. And when I bring you in, you're going to be used to me to move them out. Sounds like war. It will be a war. A seven-year war. To get rid of the pagan people who want to be in that land but they can't stay there because God has given it to his people. I wonder if there'd be any application for that sometime in the future. Something else I want to say, we go back to the smoke and lamp. But this land that they give them, I want you to look at verse 18. It says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto the seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. If I was just to say to a, a group of people, hey, tell me, what's the great river of Egypt? Well, no, that's the Nile, obviously. No, he's not talking about the Nile. When you come out of Israel, coming around that southwest corner, the first little body of water, a, a river, a stream, a brook, whatever, is called the Wadi Al-Arish. And the Wadi Al-Arish is the border between Egypt and Israel. That's the river of Egypt to the border. And if you look on a map, you'll notice that you're coming down the coast of Israel. And if you're coming down there, before you get to the Wadi Al-Arish, you will come through the land that used to belong to the Philistines and to an area along the coast that is known as Gaza. The Gaza Strip. And it belongs to the Jews. How do you know that, Earl? Because God said so. It's theirs. Anybody who's there who's not a Jew and doesn't like the Jews and wants to kill the Jews, they have no right to be there. Because God said it doesn't belong to you. Who does it belong to? Does it belong to the Jews? No. It actually belongs to God. God says to the Jews, I'll give it to you to manage. But it belongs to me. So we have a situation in the year of our Lord 2023 where people just don't understand the reality. It's not CNN or Fox or anything. No, it's what this book says. This is the reality. And if you don't go along with the book, you're either going to be very happy to start, or you're going to be very disappointed. Because the one who put out this book is not going to change his mind. Now let's go back up to this strange thing that happens. So he's fallen asleep. Came to pass when the sun went down, and it was dark. Behold, a smoldering furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Now, what do we have to know? We said that this would be a normal, regular, Canaanite sort of a covenant agreement kind of a thing. So what happened was it, was, it was a conditional covenant. But what was it conditioned on? Well, two parties got together, and there would be some kind of a thing they wanted to deal, business, covenant, agreement. So they, they, they come together, they're going to have this agreement, and what they do is... Between these severed animal parts, where there's a sacrifice of blood, which means it's about life and death, they're supposed to walk through together, and by walking through together, they're saying, 
I have made this covenant with you. And the other person says, yes, and I've made this covenant with you. And we are bound by this agreement. We're bound by this covenant. Both of us are in this. It's a conditional covenant. Why is it conditional? Because both of them have to agree and, and do it. But if one of them changes their mind and doesn't abide by the covenant, then the covenant's null and void. It's over. It's done. Why did God cause Abraham to fall asleep? Because we see there, he by himself, alone, the Lord God Almighty, says, I want everybody to read this passage and understand something. This covenant I'm about to make does not depend on Abraham. It's going to depend on me alone. How do you know that? Because you read over there in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, and God wants the children of Israel under Moses to go across the desert. And God says to Moses, okay, pull out. And Moses says, nope. He says, I'm going to go. No, he says, God, listen to me. He says, this group of people, he says, I'm not moving anywhere unless you promise to go with us. You need to, I want you with me every step of the way. I can't, I can't do this by myself. God, you have to go with me. And God says, I'll, I'll go with you. Well, how did they know that God was with them? Because it says that during the day, there was a pillar of smoke by day, and there was a pillar of fire by night. And it says in this one that there's a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. That is another way of saying Yahweh is there. He's there present. And if he's present, it's his power, it's his provision, and it's the peace that he provides because the people know they're not by themselves. And he's saying in this Abrahamic covenant, this is it right here, I am making a covenant that I, Yahweh, the God of Israel, to you, Abram, and to your descendants, I'm going to give you this land. Therefore, because I'm doing this, it is a promised land. And it is for you and for nobody else. So much so that when you get there, I'm not going to tell them just to move over a little bit. I'm going to have you go to war and get rid of them. And if you remember right, God, in this case, is a God of war. He says, you will wipe them out. Now, Brother Derek, to your prayer, I'm all for that. You know, when they got to Jericho, they found out that there was a, a harlot by the name of Rahab and her family. And God was working in that woman's heart. And they became believers in the God of Israel. And also we talk about Ruth in that book. Yes, you can have uh, pagans, Moabites, people from Jericho. You can have people, and they can convert as individuals or families to the God of Israel. They will convert to that faith system. And that's fine. That's wonderful. I hope as many Palestinians, whatever you want to call them, uh, in that Gaza Strip, whether they're in the West Bank or... Uh, wherever they're at, or whether you're some, you know, Hezbollah nutcase up in, up in Lebanon, I would like to see as many of those people repent of their sin and come to Jesus Christ. But you'll notice after Rahab came out of the city, Joshua didn't say, well, let's try to do a humanitarian thing and get as many people out of Jericho as we can. No. They went in there, and they blew the bugle, and they, they wiped them out. That's what they did. Who did that? Who came up with that plan? That was God. The God of love, the God of mercy, the God of tenderness, who's also a God of holy justice and wrath. And he said, I'm finished with you people. Now, that's that. Let's go to the next one. After the promise is procured, 
Now we go to Genesis 16. You just go to the next chapter. And this is the promise profaned. It's a symbol that, you know, God may tell us his will, but there's some folks that just always have a better idea. You know? Yeah, okay. I want you to read, listen here. We're in Genesis 16, 16, 1 through 4. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, now we're talking about people, not God. We're talking about people, so don't get too excited. Bear him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, you know the Lord has restrained me from, uh, from bearing. I, I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may, be that, it may be, I've been thinking about this, that I may obtain children by her. Sounds reasonable, seems logical to me. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. It all sounds logical. <sighs> and Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife. And he went unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Let me just put this down here. How was the promise profaned? Because what they already had was a simple faith in the promise of God. Just a childlike simple faith. God has told you what he's going to do. Live in faith, and it'll happen. But instead, it was decided by Sarah, and Abram went right along with her. It was replaced with this strategy of the flesh, a human plan. But the timing wasn't right. I'm getting too old. I'm getting a little nervous. You know, maybe I, I thought that maybe, maybe this might be the way God's going to do it. If God was going to do it any other way, he would have told them. Was there any consequence of this? Well, I don't know. Let's just see. We go down to verse 11 here of chapter 16. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he'll be a wonderful, believing man, gracious and honorable. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what that says at all says he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Do you understand in real life? Not 100%, but he's known, Ishmael is known as the forefather of a group of people today known as the Arabs. I looked up the word wild. I don't know, does this give you any ideas of something going into the world. Wild means of a group of people, descendants of Ishmael, says people would be savage, fierce, act like a bunch of uncivilized fools. Does that ring any bells for us? I think so. This angel who said this, I think this, this angel knew what he was talking about. It says also, not only that will he be a wild man, but he will be hostile. He will be hostile he will be independent, he will be arrogant, all these things. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Well, all his brethren, I'm trying to think what kind of brethren he had. Oh, that's right, there was him, Ishmael, and then he had a brother come along. Isaac, that's the guy. 
you know, the guy who became the child of promise, which means that Ishmael was no longer the child of promise. He was no longer the heir. He was told for his mother, Hagar, and for them, they, they get rid of him. And down through the years, and you see with the descendants, where are those Arabs always at? They're going to be right there, close by, wherever Isaac's at, because they're mad at Isaac. They don't like Isaac. He supplanted them. And don't these idiot Jews, and don't they understand about the Quran, what it says? Uh, the promise through Abraham, not Abraham, the promise was truly to Ishmael, not to Isaac. Well, yeah, if you want to read the uh, Satanic Reverse uh, uh, Bible. So this thing from way back 4,000 years ago is set up, looking at this, that the promise was profaned. Now, maybe Sarah had an ideal, but I got to tell you, who do you think was whispering in that woman's ear? Oh, absolutely. He never misses an opportunity. And then, Abraham, you know, I'm not going to leave him off, because when she came to him with this strategy plan of the flesh, hey, I know God's made a promise, but I've got a plan. Abraham, if he'd have been a real husband, a real servant of the Lord, he should have said, now, honey, now listen, I know you're getting a little bit nervous, and I know, you know, I'm getting a little bit older, and so are you, but... God's made us a promise. And when God makes a promise, will he keep that promise? Yeah. Well, then you don't have to worry. But anyway, we need to move on. The promise has been proclaimed. The promise has been procured. Now it's been profaned. And what it was profaned in the birth of Ishmael, that has traveled all 4,000 years into the future. And it's as real now in that thing. He'll be a wild man. Every hand against every man, every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren with jealousy and hatred and animosity. And that has not changed one iota in 4,000 years. They're right now ready to kill every Jew. What is it they've said there on those wonderful uh, protests in New York City? From the river to the sea, from the Jordan to the Mediterranean, every Jew needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. And Israel needs to be renamed Palestine, and then we can have peace. So thus saith Ishmael. Sounds like a guy who needs to be cursed. Let's go now to Galatians chapter 4. We want to get this promise in perspective. Galatians chapter 4, the promise in perspective. Paul one of those dirty, rotten Jews, in the book of Galatians, puts this in perspective with some examples. And there's a lot of things he's teaching in the book of Galatians, but this is one that is apropos to what we're doing here this evening. <coughs> you get to the book of Galatians, as I said, chapter 4, go down to verse 22, and I want to read into your hearing. And after I read this passage, I will uh, just fill in the blanks a little bit. Paul is reminding his audience, he says there in 22, For it is written, of course in the Bible, that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. 
which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that beareth not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Just say this right now. If you know Jesus Christ tonight, you're a child of promise. Wow. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Even so it is now, says Paul, in about 50 AD. (laughs) Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman. Remove her from the premises. She has no place there. It doesn't belong to her. Not promised to her. Get her out of there. That's not very humanitarian. No, but it is holy. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. You're not going to hear this on CNN. You're not even going to hear this from Mark Levin, being a, an Orthodox Jew. But by the mercy and grace of God, we can understand it and look at it. See, I just want to walk through here, just just see this. Let's go with Sarai. Sarai and Abraham had a plan. It's pictured in Mount Sinai. Well, what was given to Moses on Mount Sinai? The what? The, The law, the Ten Commandments, the law. And the law demands perfection. But it's wrong because even though the law demands perfection, there's nothing wrong with that law. The problem is we can't keep the law. Therefore, we remain in the bondage of sin. It can tell us what the problem is, but it doesn't solve our problem. So the demand of perfection from Mount Sinai, the law, the bondage, is pictured in Ishmael and the Arabs. But since it was started by a plan that was of the flesh and not of the faith, it is rejected as false. So we can know today that whatever the religion of the Arabs, by and away, Islam because it's not based on Isaac, but it's based on Ishmael. It's not based on the word, it's based on the Koran. The whole thing is of the flesh, the whole thing is of disobedience, the whole thing is rejected, the whole thing is false. Whereas, God's simple promise is founded in the heavenly Jerusalem. And from the heavenly Jerusalem on a hill far away, we saw the demonstration of grace. He fulfilled the law, but he offers grace. The law demands perfection, but Jesus Christ, according to grace, he provides perfection. Because you and I cannot go to heaven without perfection. And he provides us with it. When we believe on him, God places us in his son, so that when he sees us, he sees us in Jesus. And therefore we are perfect, and we are free in Christ. But it's not the flesh of Ishmael we look at, it's the faith of Isaac and the Jews. 
Jesus said one day to a woman at the well, now we understand most of the Jews today are not believers yet. But the woman at the well said, you know, we're looking for this guy to come. He's going to be the answer man. And Jesus says, let me tell you something. He's the Messiah. And he is the one who is talking to you. And I am a Jew. And I want to let you know there, salvation is of the Jews. So any of these so-called replacement groups and these Christians, so-called Christians who say, well, these Jews are the Christ killers. We need to reject them and everything. They're horrible and everything. You idiot. Are you against the Jews? Jesus is the Jew. I shouldn't have said idiots. Morons is more appropriate. <laughs> so the promise in perspective. Paul, he just paints it out there. He wrote this to the Galatians around the year 50 AD. And I'm sharing it tonight in 2023. And it makes perfect sense. Why? Because it is the eternal word of God. Now let's go to the toughie. Okay, I'm looking at the clock here. I got about an hour and 50 minutes left. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's go to Deuteronomy. This is a heavy-duty topic. And I know my dear sweet wife, she's praying for me and everything, because I said, you know, just in our world right now with what's going on, truth is a precious commodity, very precious commodity. Now, Scarson, yes. Here's what we have to, and bring this up to date with what happened back then, because the names and the has, has changed, but not the truth of this. this. This has not been rescinded. Now, it's the book of Deuteronomy. They're getting close. Moses already knows this. He's not going to be the one to lead them over. That's going to be Joshua. But the Lord has a command, not a suggestion. I'm going to read the first two verses of Deuteronomy 7. Now, now listen. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, send out some leaflets to tell them to get out of there so they can get to safety, because when the army comes through, it's going to get tough. No. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, no shew mercy unto them. Now, this seems odd. This seems strange. We think, well, God's a merciful and, and patient and loving God. Here's what you got to remember, though. This promise is made to a particular... It's not something with the whole world, folks. We're not talking about giving the gospel out. We're not talking about the four spiritual laws of the Roman road. We're talking about Almighty God, back there in Genesis 12, he's selected a chosen, peculiar people and a chosen, particular area of land, place, that he's setting aside for a specific purpose. And his attitude is, I'm not going to let anything get in my way. Go down to verse 9. We could read all of this, but don't have the time. Deuteronomy 7. Verse 9. Moses keeps writing, the Lord is talking. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God. The faithful God, 
which keepeth, what is this? Covenant and mercy. With everybody? No. But with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And repayeth them that hate him to their face. To destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Drop down to verse 16. And thou shalt, children of Israel. It's going to be, when it happens, it's going to be under Joshua. Thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eye shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. They say, oh, here's what we're going to hear in this coming week and in the coming days. We're going to check in with our correspondent Earl Burkett there and uh, just outside uh, there, Sudrat and everything like this. So what, what's going on over there, uh, well, I tell you right now, to the American people back at home, I, this humanitarian crisis in Gaza has become uh, more desperate by the moment. I, I tell you, it's, it's just really bad. Um, no medicine, no fuel, no water, no food. Uh, the question over here, I, I'm talking to our colleagues and everything, our question is, we don't understand why must Israel be so severe and harsh? Who wants to kill every single last Jew? Who wants to rub Israel off the face of the earth? Now, we're talking about these, all these names, you know, the Hergeshites, the Amorites, the President, all this stuff. Today, you can call them the Palestinians, you can call them El Fatai, you can call them the PLO, Hezbollah, you can call them, put any new name you want on there. But nothing's changed. It's the descendants of Ishmael who hate the Jews. But here's the three things, not only hate the Jews, but here's why. He says, why does he want to do this to them? Because he says, understand, God's not on trial, but he, he answers the question. He says, I command my people to do this because first of all, they hate God. They hate me, he says. Secondly, they are wicked. Wicked. And thirdly, Ishmael always wants to be around Isaac and he's always a danger to my people. They're always threatening, always killing, always doing everything they can. Ishmael wants to be right there in the face of Isaac, and he never means him any good. He always wants to destroy him. And we understand the ultimate person behind Ishmael is Satan. Just real quick, just want to do, set you up with this. Oh boy, I got to keep going here. Here's the situation. I hate somebody, I don't want them to live anymore, so I devise a plan, I think it out, and so I go out and do the reasonable thing, I murder them. Yeah, they saw me murder this person, so the police apprehend me, uh, I'm given a defend, uh, you know, a, a legal representation, we go to trial, uh, there's a, a case there, and a jury of my peers come to understand I murdered this person, first degree, premeditated murder, and they sentenced me to death. And so the morning that I'm going to die, they do that. I lose my life. And so now what is really strange in my way of thinking, they said over here that I committed a crime because I murdered somebody. Somebody's lost their life. And now they come over here and they kill me. Now they've got two murders on their hand, right? 
No. When I by myself, without any God approval, thou shalt not kill. When I take it upon myself to take another human life with no legal sanction, God telling me not to do that, that's murder. But when God commands the capital punishment and I'm in the court, I have representation, a fair trial, and they find me guilty, on the morning that I lose my life, they don't murder me, they execute me. Don't ever confuse murder with execution. What they're trying to do, and you see it even on Fox, well, so far there's been 1,200 or 1,300 uh, in this war. Jews have died, and now, oh, this is bad. Now it's up to 1,500 uh, uh, people of, of Palestinians in Gaza. Why, their numbers are going up faster. Oh, this is a tragedy. This is a tragedy. No, I'm telling you, according to the book, what Hamas is doing to Israel outside of the will of God, not sanctioned by God, they have murdered them. But what I've just read in the blessed book, a command to Moses, to those people, they're told to go in there and to execute the pagans. I'm telling you, Christian people, we can have a heart for people to be saved, but we disobey the Bible and we do God a big disservice. Don't get all ring in your hands. Don't get all teary-eyed. I don't like people to die to go to hell. I want everybody to be saved. I don't, every, I don't want anybody to go to hell, but when it gets down to it, even in the future, there's going to come a day where God's going to go through there and he's going to wipe them out. And God is love. God is mercy. God is gracious. But God is also a holy and just God. And if they hate him, and they're wicked, and they're against God's people, the Jews, God's got every right to do that. Last two, very quickly. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. There is a school of theology that says, well, you know, back there in uh, the time of Christ, uh, the Messiah came to the Jews, and, you know, they had the opportunity to believe on him and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And what did they do? They rejected him, and, and therefore, because they rejected their Messiah, God is done with the Jews. He's moving on. He's not going to work with the Jews anymore. And he's got this new thing he's starting. It's called the church, the Egalicia. And, and now the program, well, the church is going to be the new Israel. That's called covenant theology. Sounds nice, sounds reasonable. The only problem is it's false. Romans chapter 10. Here I go, reading fast. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them record that they have a zeal for God. But it's not according to knowledge. They didn't understand that Christ was their Messiah, or if they thought he was the Messiah, they didn't like the idea because he was too namby-pamby with the Romans. Verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They put Moses and the law over against Jesus, and they were not going to accept Jesus because they believed the lies that he was born of fornication, and no Jew is going to believe their Messiah was born of fornication, and they know that because Mary was pregnant before she should have been pregnant. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So, Paul is saying, here's your D words on this one. <sighs> Romans 10, 4, we're going to read through this real quickly. Here's the promise is perpetual. There's 
probably some people out there, covenant theologians, Christians, some of them born again, they're trying to put out this thing that, you know, when they rejected Jesus as the Messiah, that this promise was over. Did they disobey? Yes. Did they deny their Messiah? Yes. Are they being disapplied? Yes. Is God going to discard of them? No. The God who made his eternal covenant with Abraham is determined to deliver them. Look over in uh, chapter 11. I was going to read some other stuff, but I want to start off with verse 27 because I need to bring this to a close. Verse 27 of chapter 11 of Romans. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. Now here's the verse, 29. All those people out there thinking that God's done with the Jews, apparently they didn't read this verse. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. It's irrevocable, it's irreversible. Yes, he's disciplining the Jews, but he's not going to destroy them. He's going to deliver them. Why? Because he made a promise. He's dedicated to them. And I like it in verse 32, it says, uh, verse 30, uh, la, 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 la. yeah, 30. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have not obtained mercy through their unbelief. In other words, us. We weren't always believer in God, but God showed us mercy as Gentiles, and he saved us. In the same way, verse 31, even so, have these also not now believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon them. Was God happy when the Jews were in disbelief? No. Was he happy when they disobeyed him? No. Was he happy when they rejected Jesus? No. And he's disciplined them. But what is it he's happy about? He's full. He loves these people. They're the apple of his eye. And he says, I don't like their unbelief, but here's what I do like. I will like showing them mercy. I will like showing them pardon. I will enjoy forgiving them the same way I forgave you Gentiles. Okay? Anybody in here deserves salvation? Finally, the last verse. We go back to the Old Testament, Zechariah, and I'll close with this. Say, where is Zechariah? Right where it's always been. <laughs> Let's go to chapter 12. The whole book of Zechariah, there's chapters here. You really need to sit down because it's really about the wonderful restoration of Israel. Still yet future. I'm going to walk through this and then I'll close. You're in chapter 12, beginning in verse 8. In that day, this is going to be the day when Jesus returns, and one of the things he's going to do when he returns, he's going to go to Jerusalem to publicly restore Israel. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them, at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord be. Now, why is the reference to David? Because he's come to establish his kingdom. And David was the king of Israel. And they always said the Messiah would be what? He would be the son of David. So when he comes in, they're going to be reminded is this looks like the fulfillment of the Davidic prophecy. And it shall come to pass, verse 9, that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. In other words, it will be mercy and pardon, and the Jewish people will repent, and they shall look upon me. 
This is God saying they shall look upon me. This is in this verse telling the Jews that their God is Jesus and Jesus is God. Whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him. Now remember back in those days, you could go out when you, if you weren't real popular and you died, you'd go out and call one in to rent a mourner. And they'd all come up and boo-hoo-hoo. And okay, the funeral's over. Okay, goodbye. Can I have my money? Goodbye. Uh, but this is going to be genuine. From whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him, as one mourneth for his only son, interesting wording, and shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadadarim, in the valley of Megiddo. That's the day that good king Josiah died, and Israel mourned his death because he was such a good king. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan. This is the son of David whom Mary came through, who gave birth to the Christ, and their wives apart. So you've got the royalty, you've got the priesthood here coming up, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart, all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. What is he saying here? He's saying it's not going to be just a big, huge group of people, and you say, hey, you all want to fit in together? When I say, the, you know, bob your head and everything. No, this means just the way you got saved and I got saved. He's going to come, Jesus Christ, and these Jews are one at a time as individuals. They're going to see him, they're going to know who he is. He's going to be, convict them by his Holy Spirit. They're going to see those nail prints. And they're going to say, the one we crucified is our Christ. And they're going to get saved that day. And Israel will be restored. Last one there we said for Zechariah is the promise of pardon and peace. I close with this. This covenant was made over 4,000 years ago. It will be brought to fruition sometime in the future. You can mark that down. Israel will be restored and redeemed, the people of the land. Hezbollah attacked today, this is happening, but brothers and sisters in Christ, know this. If we're going to take anything out of this, know this. Whatever happens, our God's victory is secured. Absolutely secured. A promised land to his people, a promise that is kept. No doubt about it. Come